Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. All right, guys, we continue our series called uh, Religious Detox. And we've given in the beginning the definition of a process of detoxification or detoxification. They can be used interchangeably. It's a process when sickening detrimental particles are removed from living organisms. Who is this living organism? You, my friend. What are those sickening particles that poison your life? It's religious mindset. It's religion. So you should know if you came for the first time, we use, in this series at least, we use the word religion negatively. as something negative that affects you negatively. And we put it in a stark contrast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news. So how do you remove those toxins from your system? By exposing your soul, by opening your heart to the pure message of God's grace. This is the gospel. Derek Young, our dear brother, who is part of our congregation, he came to me yesterday. Yesterday we had, uh, we had this event we call Revive Night. I highly recommend for you to come to it next time. It's just worship. We worship and we expect the Holy Spirit to move, and he does. But yesterday he came to me and he said, Dennis, I want you to know. And Derek works as a counselor in a jail system. He helps inmates. He helps people whose life is a mess, a lot of them. And he came to me and he said, Dennis, I want you to know the Lord put it on my heart to share with you that you guys chose this title, Religious Detox, and it's very significant, he said, because I observe a lot of broken people and a lot of them end up in jail having developed this addiction. They they have what's called by doctors... uh, chemical dependency and he said even if they're full of good intentions to reform their life and to see change unless they go through a thorough process of complete detoxication the good intentions are not going to matter they're not going to get any traction and guys we strongly believe that there are so many christians who walk not in what God wants them to walk in. They, they walk so much subpar what God's calling for them. God's calling for them to experience true righteousness in their life as a gift, not as something they do, as a gift that they received. God's idea for them is to walk in ever-increasing measure of joy that becomes contagious. God's idea for you and me to To be marked by supernatural peace no matter how crazy this world gets. And yet we look at ourselves and we're not there. And we believe that in many ways we're not there because there are toxic particles that are flowing through the veins of our soul that it makes us sick spiritually this is religion and we've been talking a lot about different toxins and we've we've been putting them in a straight contrast to what the gospel message is. And today, the title of my message is, the title of my message is Fully Accepted. This is about you. You are fully accepted by God. 
This is the message of the gospel. You know, I'm going to talk about a problem, and it might sound like, well, the world talks about this problem too, and yes, this is correct. I actually don't like when church begins to sound like a, like a popular psychology in their preachings. But in this one that I'm going to address today, the psychology actually diagnosed it well, and they designated this problem properly. They call it inadequate self-esteem. Have you heard of it? Well, let me tell you something. It's a real problem. And it's a real problem in your life. And if you're telling me, no, no, I'm not affected. You are my friend. Everybody living in this world is affected by a problem of a wrong opinion of yourself. This problem turns an introvert into a recluse who doesn't want to see people. This problem turns an extrovert into an annoying person who is a busybody and tries to insert himself everywhere and tries to crack a funny joke every minute or so. Because one is afraid to do or say something wrong and be rejected. And another is craving for words of affirmation. He wants to be accepted. He wants to be liked. Or she wants to be liked. And you, my friends, are all there. I mean, maybe you're not those extreme, you know, points, but you're somewhere in the middle, right there. So you're really concerned what people think of you. And that's not only a toxin, that's actually pretty much full-blown dependency. You, my friend, are addicted to positive, affirming words of others. And even if you say, well, it's my lo love language, yes, it is, it may be, but you might be fully addicted to that. And that keeps you in a lower place in your life. And today I want to declare the truth of the gospel that if you open yourself, it will set you free. If you establish, and that's another thing that Derek Young told me. You know, he said sometimes a judge would prescribe detox process for a convict and convict will agree and consent and sign up just to please the judge it's not going to work so if you're here and you go along through those messages and you say well, okay whatever they preach now I'll just it's not going to work for you you need to want you need to want it you need to really want it to open yourself up and to take it seriously and whatever resonates in you take it to the Lord in your private time and deal with the Lord about it. Let it sink into your soul. I hope what I'm saying is making sense to you, all right? So I'm talking about a problem of inadequate self-esteem. And most of you, as I said, have a low opinion of yourself. And you're concerned about people's opinion about you. You're afraid of rejection. And many of you are addicted to the affirmation. Words of affirmation and acceptance. You know... I don't know how it happens, but it happens. We all know the pain of rejection. We all do. I don't care how much you try to show me that you have a thick skin and you might have a thick skin. You're still hurt. And it starts in, with a childhood. I have three daughters and my youngest is seven years old. And I, I, I don't know. Like when we start doing homework, sometimes she has 
difficulty with something. Seven years old, she starts saying these things to herself. She said like, oh, I'm stupid. I have a little brain, that's why. And she begins to do this self-deprecation right, right in front of me. And I said, where did it come from? And I have to talk to her. I say, Vika, you insult me by saying that. I hate when somebody says bad things about my family. And you're my daughter, so you have no right to tell those things about you. Well, anyway, I'm not going to go there. But the other day, my wife usually takes her to, to the school and I pick her up and some, uh, often we will let her stay for a couple of extra hours at Lachki. And I usually come to pick her up from Lachki and she plays with a couple of girls there. And I know she developed a good friendship with them. And one day I come and she's all by herself and she doesn't look very happy. And I talk to her and I said, what's, what's going on? How come you're not playing with, with that girl or that other girl? And she said, well, she told me that she, she wants to play with those other girls and she doesn't want me to be part of that. And I felt bad. And you know, what can you do about it? Those things are inevitable. They start when you're like five or six and they will never be over, my friend. That's a tough reality of this world. You might think I'm a wonderful preacher and pastor. You might experience rejection from me. It might be true. It might be not true. It might be your wounds. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is, well, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Since our childhood, we regularly experience the pain of rejection and the pleasure of acceptance and inclusion. And my question to you is, why is it so painful? And why we never learn to get over it, huh? Why is it so painful when, when, when we feel rejected verbally, physically, it doesn't matter. And why is it so pleasant when we feel accepted and included? You know why? Because we've never been created to be rejected. We are created by God. And we told you over and over again, and we will continue to tell you that if you read theological books, God is almighty, all-powerful, whatever. And He is. But they list it as the first qualities of, or properties of His being. But that's not true. According to the gospel, above all, and first of all, he is a relational being. He is eternal relationship of love. And we are created according to his image and likeness. Like a glove created according to an image and likeness of a hand. And until hand fills the glove, the glove is pointless and it's just a blob of fabric or a leather. Just like a fish created to be in the water and it doesn't do well outside of water. That's what we are. We are created to be included, to be, to be in the fellowship of love, never to be rejected. Yet over and over again, we get rejected and we reject others. We make others feel rejected. And we try to develop strategies how to deal with that. And the world tells us how to deal with that. And the popular psychology tells us how to deal with that. They say, well, get rid of toxic people. And you try your best. Or come to the mirror and say to yourself, looking in your eye and say, you are enough, Nettie. Come to the mirror and say, you are enough, Nettie. You are enough. And you're trying to collect as many affirming and positive voices in your life and reject those bad, nasty voices that put under the question mark your value. But it's not going to work because you 
my friend, carry the loudest voice of self-rejection in yourself very often. And in spite of your attempts to get rid of it, you have a hard time getting rid of it. And it constantly gets confirmed by other voices. So praises and accolades and approvement, approval of others helps a little like a drug. It medicates you for a short time, but it, the effect of it wears off very quickly and the problem surfaces up again. But God knows it and God offered a solution to that. And this, my friend, is the gospel. All right? So I want you to admit the reality of the tough, toughness of this world. This world, for this world, you do not have an intrinsic value. You have to prove valuable. Do you hear me? And that's the way it is. That's the rules of the game we all play. You have to bring value. You have to contribute. You have to, to be smarter. Approval and acceptance in this world come with a price tag always. You have to be better, faster, smarter, more charming than the other guy. If you do that, you'll be accepted. If you don't do that, you'll be neglected and rejected. That's just the reality. And we need to acknowledge that and recognize that. And we need to prepare our kids somehow to this tough reality out there without damaging them too much. And I don't know how to do that. Nobody really does. We're trying. Yet, if that's the only model that is out there, we're all losers. There are no winners. Because if you're smarter, faster, more charming than the other guy out there, it's going to wear out too. You're going to grow old and you're going to stop being number one. And then you're going to have a crisis. And then you're going to have a question, who am I? Am I valuable? Do I have any intrinsic value? Because I thought I did it. I thought I got to the top of the mountain and now I'm not there anymore. Do I have any value? That's actually the logic that Hitler used. Hitler killed, besides killing Jews, he killed a lot of handicapped people because in his book, they were not contributing. They were not valuable. My wife works with people with an advanced stage of Alzheimer and a dementia. And she hates when she sees nurses or SDNAs coming and just not seeing people there. Just seeing objects that they need to manipulate and move and shift around. Because God gave her heart to see people. It just happens that some of these people, their mind grew older faster than their body. Yet they're still people, right? They still have this intrinsic value. So the toxic religious lie that I'm addressing today is that value is not intrinsically yours, but it's to be obtained by what you do with your life. And it sounds right, and it sounds to be confirmed by the experience that we have in this world. According to religious teachings, even Christians' religious teachings, God's acceptance of you has a price tag too. Religion teaches you that you have to work 
to make yourself acceptable to God. And this is a toxic lie that will bind you and render you insecure, depressed, anxious, and exhausted. And Jesus, the good news, Jesus speaks to those people and he said, if you're depressed, if you're exhausted, <laughs> if you're heavy laden and burned, like whatever you feel, you feel like very bad. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. All right. So the gospel, on the other hand, declares unequivocally, unequivocally, that every person is intrinsically valuable to God. And I'm talking every person. I'm not talking about Christians only. Every person. Even the one who cuts you off on the road. Every person, in spite and regardless of how, how messed up his life or her life can be, has an intrinsic value in God's eyes. And that's the revelation of the gospel. So, this value is not found in what people do or don't do, but rather their essential worth is found in the loving heart of God. That's where you find your true value. You're not called to create your value. Because even if you try to create it, you won't be able to. And even if you think you would be able to, you would lose it. Your intrinsic value is eternally established in the very heart of God. And this truth is true about every single person living in this world. You see, when Jesus came, religious folks had a hard time with Jesus. The only crowd that Jesus had a problem with were religious folks. And that's... That's, that's got to be a warning word for us. We got to make sure we're not religious folks. Because one of the problems that Jesus gave them was that they were insulted by Jesus continually extending acceptance to people that according to their standards were worthless. They gave nicknames to Jesus like friend of sinners and prostitutes and glutton and drunkard. And that's what they were calling him. And they were offended because on one hand they recognized there was something of God in his words. But on the other hand they said like, you know the word Pharisee, what the Pharisee means? It means somebody who separates himself from anything that is unclean, unworthy, unholy, ungodly. And that's a characteristic of a religious mindset. You always polarize people. You always reject people, actually. Religion will make you a jerk. The gospel will make you more like Jesus. I apologize for my English. So, <laughs> Jesus spent time with those guys. They were deplorables in the eyes of Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, all these religious folks. But Jesus spent time. He ate with them. He hung up with them. He attended their weddings. He loved them. He actually called some of them to be his closest disciples. And that was bothering those religious folks. And I'm so glad that it's documented in the Bible that one time Jesus gave an extended answer to this question. How and why in the world, Jesus, you hanging out with those guys? And he gave a long extended explanation. And this is chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. And here's my home assignment for you. 
read this chapter today. Come home and read it. Just open your Bible, find a quiet time, calm down, read it. But my, my, my request for you, just like Neil did last time, try to read it like you've never read it before. And pay attention to the very first verse. Because in the very first verse, verse, it says that all kind of these kind of crowds were gathering and drawn to people to listen to him. Tax collator, uh, collectors, prostitutes, like, I don't know, people from Galilee, they did know left from right about the Bible, in, in, according to Pharisees. And those Pharisees were there too because they were also attracted to Jesus. And they were offended. And Jesus gave an answer why he accepts those people and extends acceptance to them. And how is he able to? And he basically, he gave these three stories, three parables. One is a parable of, a, of the lost coin. I mean, a lost sheep. A, a shepherd has a flock of sheep, but one of the sheep gets lost. And he tells how much the shepherd concerned. And he goes and he looks and he searches and he finally finds. And when he finds the sheep, he is happy. Not only he is happy, he wants to share this joy with others. And he calls his friends. He disrupts everybody's plan. He said, no, no, no. Cancel your plans. Time to celebrate. Second story, a woman has ten coins, silver coins. And all of a sudden she realizes she only has nine. Oh, my goodness. One of my coins is lost. She stops everything. She disrupts all her plans. She starts tearing her house apart, looking for the coin. And she finds it, does the same thing. Her heart is full of joy. She wants to celebrate. She wants to have a party. And then the third story is about a man who had two sons, and one of them got lost. And what happened next? I'm so glad. And I know a lot of you have read these, this chapter in these stories, but I want you to read it again. Read it again today. Come home and read it again because it's about you and it's about your father and it's about your value. You see those Pharisees, those Sadducees, they were playing the game of this world. They were trying to make God accept them by what they do, by what they observe. Yet Jesus saw these guys through the eyes of his loving father. And so the intrinsic value in every one of them. Oh, my goodness. God, Father, please give us the eyes of you to see other people like that. And give us the eyes of you to see ourselves like that. Our problem, we're not able to love others because we don't love ourselves. And we don't love ourselves because we've never seen ourselves with the eyes of the Father. Gosh, you're so open and receptive today. And I slept only for three hours today. So somehow it's working. Good. Thank you. So uh, read Luke 15. So all three stories point to the tremendous intrinsic value any person has, no matter how far their lives are from God's original design. They are extremely precious to God. He's talking about lost people, messed up people, people who don't have all their ducks in a row, people who are far from being acceptable and lovable and likable and charming and winners and successful. No, the opposite. And he sees their value. Can you imagine us 
being able to see just a fraction of a fraction of this view, this church would become crazy. We would accept absolutely like unacceptable people. We would welcome everybody because we would see their true intrinsic value. So the fact that they lost, they were lost, does not diminish their value does not diminish anybody's value. So no matter what the lifestyle of a person, no matter what kind of sins they practice in their life, it does not destroy their intrinsic value in the eyes of God. God longs for them. And if they take a single tiny step toward Him when He not touches them, God is full of joy, unlike religious folks who are not. So God Himself ascribes the highest value to them and religion has a hard time recognizing this intrinsic value in people so in all three stories they're finally found and there's joy and by the way some people remember the verse like oh angels rejoice it's not angels who rejoice angels are happy but you know who is rejoice rejoicing it's, it's God. It says in Luke 15, 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So there's joy in heaven. And you go, yeah, amen, I know that. You don't know a thing, dude. Because I know what you know. You know, you think you know. Here's your thinking. Some of you, not all of you. Some of you. Yes, when he repents. God rejoices. And you think, repent me. Okay, I'm going to clean up myself, shave up, take a shower, quit smoking, quit watching what I'm watching on TV, quit drinking beer, start reading my Bible. Start, that's repentance. Can you say that instead of me saying that? I'm tired of saying that. Baloney. <laughs> I'll use that now because we're online. Oh, somebody said it's bullcrap. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> yeah, repentance means a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of attitude. So, what is the repentance that he's talking about that brought them from being far and remote to being close and near? And I'm so glad you asked. Because he gives an answer in the third parable, the parable of a father and a son. The father who had two sons. And I know what you think. You know, you know the story. It's the story of a prodigal son. No, no. You say, I know, I know. I'm, I'm more advanced. It's a, really, it's a proverb of a loving, extravagant, loving father. You're closer. <laughs> it's a story that tells you what being lost means. Those two sons are both lost. Those two sons are both lost. And what's their lostness? Their lostness is they're being oblivious about the value that the father ascribes to them. He loves them so much and they have no clue. And that's a definition of being lost. It's not what you do, what you watch, what... You don't know the heart of the Father towards you. That's the essence of lostness. And that's what the gospel is, is to save us from. And that's what religion 
hates. Because when you begin to learn what the heart of the Father is to you, everybody loses control over you. And you lose your addiction to people's opinions and approval. You like it. You enjoy it. It's still pleasant. You don't depend on that for life and strength and getting traction in life. Oh, you guys are accepting it and receiving it so well today. A plus, guys. I'm loving it. Do it every Sunday. All right. So, guys, this is so important. This is the essence of being lost. And the problem with those two guys, they both connected their value to the, their productivity in father's farm, in the father's farm. One guy stayed there, another guy left. But then he came back out of his need and his thinking was, well, maybe I can convince my father by my eloquent speech so that he can accept me as a worker, as a servant. My friend, if you ever work for God without realizing how much he loves you, it will destroy you. It destroyed Neil in 12, uh, 2012. Because when he became a pastor, the church was still on the trajectory of growth. And he rejoiced and basked in this wonderful feeling of God's favor. And then the church began to dwindle down. And he began to be concerned. And the more it happened, the more concerned he was. And finally, he got to the point when he felt like a failure that has no value. And who let God down. And God is disappointed now. My friend, you will always dis disappoint God if you don't receive his acceptance of you as a child. You will always disappoint God, yourself, and others. And that's what religion is doing to us. Guys, whatever we've done by changing the order of service, it's amazing. Our, our, our messages got shorter and shorter. So I'm, that's awesome. So these guys, they tried to please God by serving him and working for him. The other, the other week I was meeting with one of the uh, congregants here and I asked him, I realized that he started and I said, please stop being volunteer in our church. We need volunteers, but unless you're establishing the love of the Father, and if you find yourself doing something in the church in order to please the Father, oh, please stop. Please stop. Take your time. Take your time to get established in the love of the Father and then come. Then come and serve and work. We need that. But we don't need slaves. We don't need employers. God is not your employee, employer and you're not his employee. He's your loving Father. That's the revelation of the gospel. All right, so your acceptance, listen, your acceptance is never based on your performance, but on your true intrinsic value found in the loving heart of the Father. And Jesus has come to seek what is lost and to save them. Amen. Has he done it? Has he done it? That's not a rhetorical question. Answer me, please. If he has done it, you're no longer lost if you heard the gospel. You're not lost. You're no longer lost. You sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. 
I once was, but now I'm found. I'm found. That means I know the heart of the Father to me. Do you? Maybe a little bit. Maybe I begin to believe it. Maybe I begin to believe it. The foundational truth of the gospel is that you are fully accepted in the beloved. No price tag attached. Never. Religion will always try to put a price tag for you on the gift of God. Take it off. Never accept the price tag. It's a gift. It's a gift of God's grace. Your value is established forever. Some people think when Jesus came, listen, it's very important. He did something, whatever he did, and he shed his blood, and he created those kind of glasses, and he, he tinted these glasses in his blood, and he put it on God the Father. And God the Father, who can barely tolerate you, now looks at you, and says, Jesus. And you go, yay, God. I hope he doesn't take these glasses. Lisa, can you save? No, I won't. Baloney. It's bull crap. He, you cannot accept anyone un, un, unless you truly know that person. Jesus doesn't deceive himself with strange kind of glasses he doesn't want to see Jesus only and reject you Jesus is called firstborn and he said he's done what he's done so that he can bring many brothers into glory many sons and daughters into glory he wants all of them he wants many sons and daughters in glory he wants to see those sons. Yes, he loves Jesus. He's well pleased in Jesus. But he wants to see you, Penny. He wants to see you, Hannah. He's happy with Hannah. Oh, he's so happy with Hannah. He will have no clue how happy he is with you. You know, and Jesus said, I've come to die on the cross and to go through this pain to take the sins of the world upon myself so that you can have what I have. And what he had was manifested on the day of his baptism. Before he has done anything for God, before he has done anything related to God's mission, he came to the river Jordan. He got baptized and the voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Through Jesus, this is the gift of the gospel. Before you do anything for God, before you can contribute anything, and even if you don't contribute anything, <laughs> he says to you, you are my beloved child, my daughter, my son, in whom my soul, my heart delights. I smile. You make me smile. You make me happy. You once were lost, but when you were found, oh my goodness, I started a party. And you are invited. You're the center of the party. You know, we say favoritism is bad in parenting. It is, but not with God. You're his favorite. How can he do that? Yes, he can, because he's God. 
Take your right to be favored of God every single day. Start your day with saying, hey, I'm God's favorite. God's favor is on me. I was far, but I'm not far anymore. I was lost and found in Jesus. He has found me, and I'm his forever. So at the end of Romans, Paul says, so accept one another as God in Christ accepted you. My friend, my challenge to you today is to repent. Not in a religious sense, but in a gospel sense. Change your mind. Before you can practice that, before you can extend exception, uh, uh, acceptance to others, you need to accept yourself. Don't try to put those glasses on God. He's not wearing, he doesn't need glasses. He sees you as you are and he accepts you as you are. Sometimes you don't. Repent. Accept yourself. Accept yourself. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.